Today we celebrate Easter. It is one of those traditional days, but when you think back and kind of the totality of the story, you realize that he was a man born to Mary. Uh, he grew up in a home where his stepfather was uh, probably a carpenter. They, you know, it's referring to that. So maybe Jesus actually, in terms of the first 30 years of his life, would have worked in the trades um, a little bit later, right after, kind of as he starts heading into his mission, he gets baptized by John the Baptist, and he goes into the wilderness, and he gets tempted, and he begins his ministry. And I want to begin by reading, really, the, 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 the send-off of his formal ministry. And it comes out of Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And again, he's about 30 years of age at this point. Then Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as usual, he went into the synagogue on the day of rest, a holy day. And he stood up to read the lesson, and the attendant gave him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he opened it, and he found the place where it read, The Spirit of the Lord is with me. He has anointed me to tell the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce forgiveness to the prisoners of sin and restoring of sight to the blind to forgive those who have been shattered by sin to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and everyone in the synagogue watched him closely. Then he said to them, This passage came true today when you heard me read it. Easter is the pinnacle of that Isaiah passage. Now, think a moment. What if you were there listening to Jesus stand up and say this, I am the path toward the forgiveness of sins. I think one thing is for certain, for anybody that's there, they wouldn't have looked ahead to three and a half years and said, and looked at and said, there has to be a cross. There has to be a broken body. There has to be a a resurrection, an open tomb. They would have known none of that. As you look ahead from that moment, three and a half years later approximately, At an early dawn, which represents Easter Sunday, a group of women goes to the tomb of Jesus and they're taking the spices and they're preparing to put spices on that body. And they get there, on the way they're wondering how they're going to roll the stone away from the tomb, but they get there and the tomb is open and it's empty and inside there's two men that are in dazzling apparel and they're a bit terrified. I don't want to be, read that section here of Luke 24 that describes really what they heard and understood. Look at verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. For these ladies that came to the tomb, everything began to make sense of what, how things were fitted, being fitted together. They understood at that moment that Jesus had to be crucified. 
had to be broken for them. And that, that empty tomb was the pinnacle of what Jesus was teaching them all along. So today, we celebrate an empty tomb, really along with those women. We celebrate with them. But let me just pause and kind of go down a path here. You know, I'm getting a little bit older, and it feels like, you know, Easter keeps coming faster and faster and faster. You know, once you get a few days past 40, it just seems, time seems to fly a little bit, okay? Um, not quite 40, um, a little bit over. Uh, but one of the observations for me, I, I think looking back over all the years I've been around here, Easter's changed a bit. And the way people look at it and approach it, See, there's more and more people, and statistics would say this, Easter, you can take it or you can leave it. It just isn't that important. Matter of fact, for some, and there's a growing group who would say, the tomb, that's just a fable. It's a fairy tale. Don't even bother. And then there's another group that looks at this day and it's tradition. It's one of those important days to show up at church and yeah, you sing and you hear a bit of a sermon, but then you get along, get it, you know, go along to the most important thing for that day, the family gathering meal. See, that becomes the most important. And for some, I I think there's a group, maybe even for kids, it's the Easter egg hunt. That's the most important thing on this day, the Easter bunny and the gifts and the dressing up and the pictures and all of the stuff. See, it's a holiday weekend. And I think here's a challenge. It doesn't matter in terms of the way people live in this world and as they relate to Christ. But here's another maybe opinion here. And I think it includes lots of people who attend church regularly. And I think they miss a point if we step back and we look at the broader understanding of Easter and what went on through God's mission and his plan. We recognize that the cross broke the power of sin. Something was changed Let let me give you a key reminder. I I do a sermon outline if you're a guest here, and I just want to fill in that first blank there. Easter represents the enabling power to live life differently. And I actually could have written in there to relate to people differently as well. Because of an empty tomb, we can have a relationship with Christ And when he's in our lives, it enables us to think differently, to believe differently, to live in a new way in relationship with God in a different way. See, Easter is more than just getting up and singing praises that there's an empty tomb. This day symbolizes that God has broken something uniquely. Let let me put actually the title of the sermon on the screen, Breaking the Power of Sin. And this isn't just moral sin, recognize that. This is about the ability to relate to God differently. 
This is about breaking the chains in our lives in many different areas where he sets us free to be different. If you've got your Bibles, I want to turn to Psalm 107, not your traditional Easter uh, sermon text. I'll, I'll warn you on that. But it points to something really that in many ways is almost parallel to the understanding of what goes on in the New Testament. It speaks to a powerful God who is life-changing. Now, one of the, I think one of the challenges, when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it almost feels at times like there's a different God in the old than the new. Matter of fact, some people would say, you know, as we look at God, the judgment of God, all the stuff that takes place, you know, God's the bad cop in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is the good cop. He's the good guy that comes. But, but here's where the psalm points is that's just not true. That God hasn't really changed. But let me give you the first application from Psalm 107, then we'll jump into the text. Number one for your notes, God has always been a good God who has the desire to rescue people. I could use the word redeemed there as well. We sang that song, Redeemed. Now, the context of 107. They believe that it's referring to Judah, but it isn't poetry, so there's a figurative sense as well. But Judah was sent into captivity and into exile, and they were trying to get back to the land of Palestine at the point, and that's where they think that the context... Let me just read you a, a verse why they believe that. Uh, here's how the people cry out in Psalm 106, 47. Save us, O Lord... Our God, and gather us among the nations. That's the context of 107. But look at verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2 Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. What's the psalmist doing here, the writer? Well, the writer here knows that this world has turned their backs on God and on the love of God. And the result is, even in that day, it is there is a broken world. Trouble, pain, hurt, sickness. It's filled with people groups who don't like each other. Families are divided. Marriages are broken. Junk that's going on all around us. But this morning, the empty tomb represents God's redemptive power into that junk. And it gives the power to change people. See, it reminds us that God's commitment has always been there to be redemptive, to be redeeming people, rescuing people. Now, you got to catch this, and if we were to dig here, I'm not going to dig very deep here today, but the idea there, these people, they got themselves in their own mess. They deserved it. They're in trouble. This nation's in trouble. They 
turn their backs on God and it's the consequences of their sin. And yet the psalm is going to remind us that God continues to not give up on them. But there's a second point I want to point out in the application number two. No matter what you've done in the past, it will never disqualify you, disqualify you from God's rescuing grace. He wants to rescue people. That's who the character of God is. Do you know this kind of God? But do you think of the lives, you think of lives that are wrecked by drugs, abortion, illicit sex, lying, fraud, etc., etc. See, the, the psalm reminds us that none of those things can block God from getting to us and rescuing us, redeeming us. See, these people got themselves into a situation by their own stupidity. They had no one to blame, and yet God hears their cry, and he saves them. But let me put up verse 2 again. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. The word redeemed, you could actually use the word rescue there as well. I could write reclaim there. You could use the words bought back, would also be legitimate and appropriate. But it's the idea that these people were in bondage. Bondage. They couldn't rescue themselves. So God redeemed them. Now they are called redeemed people. But now here's where we got to point something. I need to point something out. He just doesn't fix things and our circumstances overnight. His first goal is to bring us back into a right relationship with himself. That's the first redeeming work that he wants to do. And as a result of that, we see in this psalm there's an invitation to give thanks. Now, now one of the nuances to this, we look back because the cross is the pinnacle of his saving work. And we look backwards to it. But this group that's in the Old Testament, they were looking and gazing, trying to find it as they looked to the future. And I'll have to admit, I'd rather look back with the certainty of it than where they were at. But see, God was still working back then. And he was powerful. And understand, this is poetry again. But it's the, this idea is really revealing kind of the state of humanity. There's actually four of them. We're really all going to deal with two. And I want to deal with the first one. Look at verses four through eight. Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to the city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress and he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in and let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. So here was a group of people no stability everything shaking for them they didn't have a place to call home. They're hungry, they're thirsty. And again, in this poetic sense, they're fainting, their souls are, are tired, and, and there's no rest for them. But do you catch in verse 6, they finally, they get to a place and they go, God help us. And he provides. 
and he delivered them. Now, here's how I think we apply this. There are lots of people in churches like ours today, all across the country, who are wandering. They're in the desert as well. They don't have a place to call home. Yes, they got a house to sleep in, but they're at a place where they're looking at life and going, it's just not working. There's a restlessness in their souls. There's a looking for meaning in life and they're lost and they're looking to get love and their soul is fatigued. And I go, if that's you, God through the Son, His Son Jesus, is wanting to invite you to a relationship where there is hope and stability, purpose, even to the place of joy. See, He wants to give us the ability to live life differently. He wants us to be able to be certain about life in such a way that we actually can respond and give him thanks. But there's another group of people. They're not exactly wandering like this group, but they're actually in a worse place. There's a group of people, I think, in this world where they are lost and they're wandering around life. They don't know they're lost they don't know that they're lost. Deanna and I lived in Vancouver, Washington. And for about five years there, I worked for a heating and air conditioning company and I would sell heating systems and, and oftentimes I would work the fairs, I'd work the show, home shows and, and even the malls. And one day, one, of the, one weekend, Deanna's parents were actually visiting us and I was at a place called Jansen Beach Mall. It's across the Columbia River from Vancouver, Washington in Portland. And um, they had taken my kids, Andy and Bethany, with her mom and dad and, and gone to, down to the end of the mall. There was this big merry-go-round. And it was kind of a popular spot for kids, obviously. And they had taken them down there and put the kids on the ride. And so they were doing the merry-go-round. And lo and behold, for whatever reason, they didn't catch Andy when he got off. He was young, very young, and he went missing. And they, Deanna runs down to me, and we can't find Andy. And, and so the her parents and myself and her, we just scattered through the mall and we're running through the stores. And, and if, parents, if you've ever lost a kid like that, you know the pit in your stomach of, of you're thinking the worst and you're going, did he get kidnapped? All of those thoughts are going through. And, and finally we couldn't find him and we go back to the merry-go-round and there he's at, there he's, he's there. He hadn't gotten off the ride He kept going on the ride. But understand this, Andy was lost and he didn't know it. And he was having a great time. That is how people approach this world at times. They're on a merry-go-round like my son going round and round and they're lost and they don't even know it. And they're marching through life having a grand time and they're staying on that merry-go-round unaware that the heavenly father is concerned that they are lost. 
but someday that merry-go-round is going to stop. And they're going to be facing eternity and facing God in one final time. Say, if that's you, can I say this? God is looking for you. He's seeking you. He's not waiting for you to seek him. But let me keep going in the text. Look at how it goes, verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadows of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Here represents a second group. Not wandering, but those that are trapped. They're in chains. They're in bondage. Why? They flat out rebelled against God and they're trapped in sin. And those words, in irons, it means that they're in bondage. There's some kind of, they got irons that are tied to keep them to the wall, whatever it is. But why? Is that they spurned God. Now, I think at times we think this way, doesn't God have the right just to turn his back on these people? And you go, God doesn't do that. He keeps seeking people. Matter of fact, look at verse 12 and 13. How he writes, so he bowed, he is God. That's, that's God there. God bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. You catch what God Here's the God of the Old Testament doing this. Let me give you an application, and it's kind of a hard one. I don't think we like this at times, but number three, God uses our messes as an invitation to seek him and to find freedom. Now, this group of people, they had turned their backs on the advice from the Most High from the counsel of God. But I don't know if you caught in verse 12. I'm not going to put it on the screen. You can look there. But it's because of their sin that God forced and humbled their hearts with labor. He put them actually in a harder situation. Why? So that they would come to the end of themselves. God gave them over to the consequences of their sins. See, the writer gets something here. Because of the trials, because of even, I have to say this, the sin issues in our lives, God doesn't pull away. He keeps whispering, I'm near. Turn, repent, walk toward me. Uh, Do you realize if we never were in hard times, we wouldn't need God? We would be self-sufficient. See, God takes those things, those circumstances, and he uses it. Now, I don't think we like that. That God intentionally uses our trials, he uses our brokenness to work to invite us but we tend to complain about when we're at a spot where life isn't working. That's the normal place. 
And we get to that place where we're, life is just going the wrong way and we come to the conclusion, I don't know if I should say this, I wrote up my notes, so I'll say it. Life sucks. Sorry, parents. You can explain that to your kids later. <laughs> but we get angry at God because life isn't working and he's not fixing it for us right now. And and listen, God uses the junk to invite us to come to the end of our rope so that we would turn to him. That we would come to the end of ourselves so that we might begin to trust him. To trust him. Have we figured this out? See, do we believe that God has the power and that he's working in the midst of all of the pain and the ugliness and the junk that's going on in our lives? Do we believe that he has the power to change our hearts, our attitudes, even our desires and to walk a new way in life, even when life doesn't work well? See, we want a smooth life. And when it doesn't work, we tend to get angry at God. And I go, folks, it's an invitation to something different. But we choose to live in independence as well. See, we want to be free from the shackles of religion. We want to be free to live as we choose. You know, that stuff is way too confining. But what people don't realize is that sin... And walking and turning from God always leads to bondage and to change and ultimately brokenness, a broken relationship with the creator. And the author understands that. He knows how people operate. Let me keep going. Look at verse 14 to 16. Here's the New Living Version. He led them from the darkness and the deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love, for the wonderful things he's done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. He took that prison and he opened the doors and he got rid of it. He broke the chains. That's the picture there. Do we recognize that God is a chain breaker and we need him. But we need to get to the end of ourselves to cry out to him. And he doesn't say, Ken, too bad. You got yourself into the mess. You got to get yourself out of it. He doesn't do that. No, we have a God who is gracious and he delivers and he can deliver you and me from the sin which holds us in bondage. But we've got to give up our self-control and we abandon our wisdom for God's wisdom. And we turn and we seek him and his wisdom through Jesus. We seek the son through through the word of God, but we seek the son what does he do? He opens and he gives us spiritual eyes and we begin, we understand the why at times, the purposes of why we're even allowed to go through these events. It's kind of like those women in the tomb. Aha, it makes sense. Well, that begins to happen when God works in our life and we begin to walk by faith and we begin to experience freedom from the darkness, from the hurt, from the despair. 
and we find out and taste that he is good, that he is a rescuer, and that he wants to continue to break the chains. Does it happen instantaneously? No. But he keeps walking with us every day. And he opens the door and he invites us then to respond in thank you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We want to celebrate that God redeems us. Do we recognize that? And he wants us to experience the power that the resurrected Christ experienced as he came out of the tomb. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to sing a song, God, You're So Good. And I'm going to ask you just to remain in your seats here. But I have a few people that are going to share their testimony, and I want them to line up up front here. Down, you can just start down here. And what they're going to do is they're going to hold up a sign. And in many ways, it's a sign of thanksgiving, of what God has done in their life. And that there's a new freedom. The chains have been broken. There's something new going on. And so what I want you to do is just look at those. And I want you to think even, maybe think back to what would you have put on these cardboard testimonies? So let's sing. And they're going to share personally some things in their life. And they're going to say, how did God change them? That's what we want to reveal today. So watch, sing. I'd encourage you to sing with us. But God is good. God is so good. And these people are testifying it here today. Let's sing, guys. He's alive. Uh, If you're a person here today that maybe you made a decision here today and you wanted to give your life to Christ or you decided something to live differently uh, I'd invite you to maybe send me an email or my phone number's in the back of the bulletin you can send an email or text or call or whatever just I'd love to hear from you and maybe we can help walk with you um, if you've done something or maybe there's a piece that we can even encourage you some way so I'd encourage you to to step forward and, and let that be known Um, If you're a guest, if you're looking for a home church, we'd love to have you back another week and just check us out and see if we might um, be able to encourage you. We're, We're not perfect here by any means, but we're looking to have Jesus change us every day. Third thing, when you're eating your lunch today, how about just thinking about what would you have put on that card? How's God changed your life? Maybe you want to share that with somebody, uh, yeah, at the dinner table. Be bold. Talk about what God has done in your life. Let me pray.